0: Hello, I'm Jeff Mearns, and I have the good fortune to serve as the president of Ball State University. Last spring, the initial COVID-19 outbreak forced a premature end to our first season of Cardinal Compass Campus and Community Conversations. This fall, we've taken the necessary precautions to safely resume filming the program, which is produced by students in our College of Communication, Information and Media. Cardinal Compass provides a forum for us to explore the challenges and the opportunities that exist in our efforts to strengthen our university's relationship with the community. During these challenging times, I believe it is more important than ever for Ball State University and for our community to work together to overcome this public health crisis as we continue to plan for our bright future together. Thank you for joining us.
1: From the campus of Ball State University on WIPB-TV and Indiana Public Radio, this is Cardinal Compass Campus and Community Conversations.
0: You know you're a Ball State Cardinal when you first hear the chirp, when you look to frog baby for luck and beneficence for guidance. You're a Ball State Cardinal when you chase your dreams, present your case, and win. When the university you call home is small enough to be a community, but big enough to change the world. You know you're a Ball State Cardinal when you're one of us. We are Ball State University. We fly.
2: Hi there, welcome to this season's first episode of Cardinal Compass Campus and Community Conversations. I'm Tyler Brummett.
1: And I'm Lily Cederdahl. The focus of today's Cardinal Compass is COVID-19, how it's affected the University and Muncie, and what happens now.
2: Students and faculty return to campus for a partial in-person fall semester. Now, from when the pandemic began back in March to this recording on September 9th, really so much has changed. Annie Keister takes us through the last five months and what steps Ball State is taking to help slow the spread of the coronavirus.
3: March 5th, 2020. Ball State suspends all work-related travel to China, South Korea, and Italy, and cancels future study abroad programs in preparation for the coronavirus outbreak. Next, the university launches a website with information about the virus, prevention, symptoms, treatment, and a link to the CDC's website. Indiana has its first confirmed case of COVID-19. Nationwide, there have been more than 200 confirmed cases and a dozen deaths. March 11, 2020, the World Health Organization declares COVID-19 a pandemic.
2: Good evening, everyone. I'm Tyler Brumman.
3: And I'm Annie Keister. Thanks for joining us. Tonight we begin with breaking news just into our newsroom. Ball State University cancels all in-person classes for the rest of the semester. Ball State is the first university in the state of Indiana to move to remote classes. I
1: really think it's a little bit over the top.
3: Mid-March, President Trump declares the coronavirus pandemic a national emergency. Muncie events begin moving online or canceling. Governor Holcomb orders all restaurants and bars to close on the day of Indiana's first COVID-19 death.
0: We were only at the beginning of what would be a long race.
3: Just one day later, Indiana reports its second death. March 16th, Ball State announces it will close residence halls in 13 days. Days later, Ball State closes all workout facilities. March 23rd, May commencement is canceled in hopes of a later alternative. The bookstore eventually cancels cap and gown orders April 9th. COVID-19 continues into the summer as events are postponed or canceled. Governor Holcomb announces a plan to start to reopen Indiana May 1st.
0: Today I can report that thanks to the discipline and actions of 6.7 million Hoosiers, we are ready to move ahead in a measured way.
3: Hair salons and restaurants begin opening back up with restrictions. Some counties are on a separate track. Some stages are delayed throughout summer 2020. Ball State summer classes go remote. Ball State awards $7.6 million in funding to students through the CARES Act. Students meeting the requirements receive between $500 and $1,000 in federal funds. Late June, Ball State releases plans for returning fall semester. According to the plan, on-campus in-person classes begin August 24th and move to remote learning after Thanksgiving break. Students will have 13 full weeks on campus working through fall break and Labor Day.
0: Our paramount responsibility is to protect the health and safety of every member of our university community.
3: Following CDC recommendations, the university requires faculty, staff and students on campus to wear face masks while inside building. Buildings, including the classrooms, contact tracing, screenings, testing, and of course, university officials encourage social distancing and frequent hand washing.
0: So, as we steel ourselves for the uncertainties that lie ahead, let us soften our hearts. Let us be there for each other as colleagues and as
2: friends.
1: Now let's dive into the topic of the coronavirus.
2: We're joined here in studio by President Jeffrey Merns and Susanna Rivera-Mills, the provost and executive vice president for academic affairs. First of all, thank you guys so much for joining us here today. And before we get things underway, uh, Mr. President, you mentioned it at the top of the show, we are doing this as safely as you can. As you can tell, we are spread out six feet apart here on set, and when we are not on camera, we are wearing masks. So... Uh, it's important to note that we are doing this as safely as we can, you know, and now we know a lot more about this virus than we did back in March. I know you guys had to make that difficult decision to make all the classes into remote courses. Uh, kind of just take us back to that decision that you guys had to make back in March.
0: Well, thank you for having us and thank, us, thank you for giving us the opportunity to talk about this important issue. So when um, the virus uh, came through the United States in February and March, it came on us very quickly and our decisions at that time were often dictated by public health officials here in Indiana and at a national level. And then ultimately our decision to substantially change operations on campus were driven by the governor's orders. That's what prompted us to immediately convert classes to remote instruction, to have our students safely move out of our residence halls, and then to begin to prepare for the spring semester. And I'm grateful to so many people all across campus how quickly and creatively our faculty responded to that transition to remote instruction, our staff in the residence halls who developed the plans to move students out. You know, typically our staff have months to prepare for the move in. Here they had a matter of just a few days to prepare for that uh, move out. And then of course to faculty and staff Uh, throughout that uh, process, who continued to maintain the essential operations of the university. As I say, it came at us very quickly. It felt a little bit like we were pushed off of the high dive and weren't sure whether there was (laughs) going to be any water in the swimming pool, but fortunately because of the character and commitment of our faculty and staff and the resilience of our students, uh, we made that transition pretty effectively.
2: And, Provost, I don't know if you want to chime in on this. Kind of talk about your role throughout this whole process.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
4: I I couldn't agree more with the president. We were so proud of what our faculty and our staff were able to do in such a short amount of time because it really was a very short amount of time, and I think It speaks very highly of how we have been preparing over the years and the investments that we've made in online education. And that certainly allowed our faculty to move quickly and go remote. Um, You know, Tyler, as you said, there are so many things that we didn't know at the time that we have learned. And I think that one of the challenges that we had to face right away, which was uh, new to us and, and we needed to better understand, was the fact that many of our students found themselves challenged to access technology. They had to go home. Not all of them had Wi-Fi. Not all of them had access to the technology that they needed to be able to learn remote. So again, we had to mobilize very quickly to figure out how to meet those needs, how to make that accessible for them from where they were.
1: And Susanna Rivera, you said you know there's a lot that you wish you would have known back then. What are some of those things that you guys wish you would have known back in the spring?
4: Yeah, I think the first one goes to that technology piece, just how crucial it is to have that technology and the fact that there are inequities in terms of accessibility and ability to really use that technology. So, you know, we were able to partner, for example, with libraries across the state who worked with us to open their Wi-Fi channels so that families or students could go to their parking lot or be near a Wi-Fi spot, Uh, we worked very hard with just providers of Wi-Fi who were very generous at the time in providing temporary Wi-Fi access either for very low cost or in some cases for free. And that went a long way to help our students access that. Uh, I think also just the thought that some of our students really wanted to stay on campus because for them that made the most sense and we realized that we couldn't keep a large number, so quickly moving to put in place a process that would allow some students to stay on campus and be able to continue their studies. So those are things that I think we learned as we went along and as we moved remotely, they would pop up and we would try to mobilize our staff and community partnerships to be able to meet those needs.
2: And President Mearns, I know you sent out uh, several emails throughout the summer, really it seemed like week by week, you know, we were getting another update as far as, you know, what's going on with the virus itself and kind of your plans for the fall semester. Uh, Throughout the summer, obviously, there were multiple challenges because we really didn't know as a country where we were heading as far as fighting uh, the coronavirus, so kind of just talk about how difficult was that planning and really what was that process like for you guys? Because this is really uncharted territory.
0: It is unprecedented. I mean, I think we've heard people <laughs> use that word quite a bit, and it's, it's certainly an accurate description. I think we learned, as you mentioned a moment ago, the value of communicating. Uh, in uncertain times, we know that that uncertainty promotes anxiety. And so we know one of our most important responsibilities is to communicate what we know and also to communicate honestly when we're not certain of where we're headed. So it was a very dynamic and difficult situation, but what we found, and Suzanne and I both found, we're so grateful that the people, our faculty and staff and our students, responded to that uncertainty uh, with commitment and dedication and courage. They also adapted as we ga- as we gained new information and had to make those changes. Uh, people changed with us. We learned, as Susanna was saying a moment ago, we learned some important things. So for example, we had to convert what would have been on-campus orientation for nearly 4,000 students. We had to convert that very quickly to a virtual orientation. And we learned during that process that there's some aspects of doing things virtually during orientation that are better. It will not replace on-campus orientation in the future, but there are some elements. We found already this semester that augmenting regular advising hours with virtual advising session is actually enabling more students Mm -hmm. to take advantage of that professional guidance. So yes, it's constantly changing and we're having to constantly adjust, but with each step along the way, we're also learning and drawing lessons that we can apply to the future when we get back to something that's uh, closer to normal.
2: Yeah. And I was about to ask about that. You know, what are some of the things that we have done throughout the pandemic that we could see possibly after all of this has subsided and things are either normal or in what the experts are saying could be our new normal?
0: So I'll let Susanna explain, maybe share a bit more from the academic side. But I would say we are learning more about how to engage students in ways through technology that they're comfortable with, that we were uncertain about but we're learning more about how our faculty can adjust and do things better in the classroom by using technology.
4: Absolutely, I think that the way that our faculty were able to go to trainings and engage in boot camps very quickly and learn and enhance their classes, the way that we were able to implement the high flex model that we're talking about, which just means designing a class for it to be very flexible, to be able to meet a variety of needs of students maybe coming in and out of the classroom. All those things I think provide huge opportunities for innovation as we look ahead in terms of how do we meet a diverse learning need, right? as we move ahead, how do we integrate technology better? What are the systems that really work together and how can we fine tune them? So I think there's a lot of opportunity as we move forward to look about the different kinds of learners across campus and how we can continue to adapt to meet those needs.
0: And one thing that I'll share, in addition to using technology now to engage our students, uh, I'm also finding, you know, one of my responsibilities is engaging our alumni and our benefactors. Uh, to encourage them to provide philanthropic support for the university and for our students. And our alumni are spread, not just all around the country, but all around the world. And so typically, my, my experience at Ben, they expect me to be physically present. To come have lunch with them or to have dinner with them, whether it's in Los Angeles or Florida. But of course, that's all changed since March as well. And I have found that our alumni and our benefactors are receptive to having virtual conversations. So I don't have to get on a plane to have dinner with um, with a generous alumnus uh, in Los Angeles. We can have that conversation uh, over Zoom. It will not replace that personal engagement but it will enable us to supplement uh, those traditional ways in new ways that are more efficient and in some cases just as effective.
4: And if I could add to that very quickly, I, I can't emphasize enough the accessibility that this virtual dimension offers because as we track the number of engagement, we have really seen how students actually are engaging more with advisors because they have that virtual access to them. So I think that there are some opportunities there that we hope to continue to explore.
1: I think a question that a lot of people were wondering, why did you guys feel it was safe to return back to campus this semester?
0: Well, so we were planning for many months. In addition to the academic planning group that the provost led, we had this trust group that was examining all of the other aspects of campus life from facilities and classrooms to transportation and the like. And they were working, based upon guidance from the CDC and from state and local public health officials, to determine what operations could be sustained and what operations had to be adjusted and which uh, activities actually would not be possible. And so, as we continued to monitor what was possible, we also kept hearing from our students that having some type of on-campus instruction was very important to their success and some of it depended upon the nature of the course, the nature of the discipline, but we know that one of the things that makes an educational experience so distinctive at Ball State is that personal relationship between students and faculty and staff. Now, of course, it was not going to be the same as it was last fall or in January, but we knew that our students uh, wanted that, and that it would be in their interest. So we did all we could to ensure that there would be some form of on-campus instruction, and we're continuing to monitor the conditions on a daily basis to to ensure that we can continue to provide that.
2: And one thing I do want to ask, you know, as far as university protocol and stuff like that, you know, you guys obviously had to go through an extensive process, had to do a lot of thinking. I'm sure a lot of sleepless nights. Uh, so far on campus, you know, we've seen hundreds of students get tested. We have had hundreds of positive cases as a result. uh, Are these numbers, are they concerning for you? And overall, how do you feel testing is going so far?
0: So we're monitoring nine key indicators on a daily basis. One of them is the number of students and faculty and staff who are testing positive. And yes, the number of students who have tested positive to date is of concern to me and to all of us. Uh, over the last few days, as we sit here today and record this program, over the last few days that number has, has continued to decline significantly. That's in part in response to the testing surges that we put in place a couple of weeks ago. In addition to the testing capacity through IU Health, we brought in a private nursing company. They were doing significant amounts of testing out at Schumann Stadium. We brought the state in uh, last week to do two extensive days of testing. So, yes, it is something that concerns me. But when I look at all of the other indicators on our dashboard, contact tracing, we are there's no backlog in contact tracing. Uh, we are seeing substantial capacity at IU Ball Memorial here in East Central Indiana to treat people who have serious conditions associated with it. So all of those other indicators are positive or improving, and I'm hopeful that with continuing to monitor and continue to provide testing, that we'll see the number of students who test positive continue to decline, but we'll be monitoring it
2: regularly. Do you think it's likely we'll make it to uh, the time when we're supposed to go online? Do you think we can make it to that point in the semester?
0: If we continue to see a decline in the number of students who are positive, yes, I think that's quite possible.
1: Yeah, and that, I was just going to ask, what kind of is the criteria that goes into you know, moving everything remote if we have to do that earlier than the designated time? Yeah.
0: So it is not one factor, certainly the number of students who are faculty and staff who test positive are an important factor, but it's those variety of other factors. Our capacity for quarantine and isolation space for students who test positive or need to be quarantined from a residence hall. Uh, Our ability to sustain the PPE, sanitizing equipment, masks, and all those other things. Um, The capacity of the hospital and our health center to treat people who have complications from the disease. Those are just some of the factors that we're monitoring. No one factor has a trigger point or a tipping point. We are instead monitoring all of the factors on a daily basis, and we're sharing that data with a team of medical and public health experts. You know, this is not an area of expertise that we have, so we're tapping into the expertise that exists on our campus, in our community, to guide the decisions we make. So they get that information on a daily basis and make recommendations about adjustments, and they also might recommendation, make recommendations, if we get there, Of more significant changes in our current plans.
2: And President Mearns, I know after the first week of classes, you sent out an email to students basically saying, you know, we have seen a number of cases come from off campus gatherings. Kind of just hit on the social responsibility, if you will, of the students. Mm -hmm. You know, at the beginning of the year, I think it was kind of no secret. If you looked on social media, there were multiple parties. There was even a video that went around of students just to be quite frank, acting irresponsibly. Just talk about that social responsibility of the student and also um, kind of what consequences could come as a result.
0: So social responsibility is one of our enduring values and it is the one, as you know, it means taking actions to benefit other people. And we know that many of these protocols are not only designed to protect yourself from infection, but to prevent you from transmitting it to others. So that notion of of social responsibility is a shared responsibility among all of us, faculty, staff, administration and students. Um, I've been pleased that, that the vast majority of people on our campus, including the vast majority of our students, are exercising prudent good social responsibility i sent that message out because i was concerned that there were a few outliers and that those outliers who were not recognizing the importance and and the consequences of their actions were jeopardizing what we all wanted which is to continue to sustain the on-campus planned instruction that we have in place our numbers are suggesting that that message resonated i also know that student leaders and others in the student community are communicating that message to their peers. So working together, we're we're beginning to to bend that curve. All
2: right, and unfortunately, we do have to leave the conversation there. Uh, President Mearns, your final thoughts?
0: Well, thank you very much for giving us the opportunity to have a conversation with you about this very important topic. We're grateful to you and all of our students who are working so hard to sustain the on-campus experience that we all cherish so much. We know this is a challenging time. It's a challenging time for our students. It's a challenging time for all of us both professionally and personally. We're required to abide by certain conditions that are new to us, uh, things like wearing masks and being physically distant. Uh, But we know that through our common connection with each other, that we will overcome this challenge because we are
2: truly better together.
1: Again, we wanna thank President Merz and Provost Rivera Mills. Thank you for joining the conversation today. I'm Lily Cedar And
2: I'm Tyler Brumman. We hope that you will join us next time for Cardinal Compass Campus and Community Conversations. Stay safe.
0: At Ball State University, we are empowered to seek new insights unrestrained by convention. We reimagine the future, spread our wings, and fly. Lifted by knowledge, enabled across disciplines, we are inspired, engaged, and exhilarated, propelled to change the world. And with beneficence as our guide, at Ball State University, we fly.
2: Compass was produced at Ball State University by students of the College of Communication, Information, and Media at the studios of University Media Services. Cardinal Compass was produced by Natasha Leland and engineered by Alex Radke. Special thanks to Sean Ashcraft for production assistance, the Department of Telecommunications, University Media Services, Ball State Marketing and Communications, and the Digital Corps.